We're going to look together to God's word now. So I invite you, if you have a Bible, to be ready with that. You know, the Bible is a book of great stories. We think of David and Goliath. think of Noah and the ark. Joseph and the coat of many colors. Jonah and the great fish. And the Christmas story about the birth of Jesus. What, what a wonderful piece of, of literature. And you can read just fantastic, amazing stories in this book called the Bible. But they're not just stories. These are captivating accounts of real people who encountered our great God. And if you're in the habit of, of reading the Bible, you know these stories But it's always refreshing to go back. And if you're not in the habit of doing that, I encourage you to just open a Bible sometime and look at what God has to tell us there. We're going to look at a story today. It's about a man who came very close to a tragic end to his life. But he experienced a turning point. And that brought radical change into his life and his family. And there was an eyewitness And this eyewitness wrote down the story of what happened to this man. So we find it in our Bibles in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. The New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And the number of the chapter is 16. Now, it starts out talking about a different man than the one we're going to focus on in a little bit. And this man's name was Paul. He was a religious teacher. Paul also had a life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ. And Paul began traveling to talk to people about it. And he enlisted some companions. There was a medical doctor named Luke. In fact, Luke is the one who kept a journal of their experiences, and that's what we find here in the book of Acts. And he is the eyewitness of what we're going to look at here today. And then another teacher was along with Paul and Luke, whose name was Silas. And then a younger man named Timothy, who's introduced at the beginning of the chapter there in in verse 1. And so Paul had this ministry team, and they were depending on God to direct them where they should go. And they were led to a Roman colony called Philippi. Philippi was named after, guess who? What do you think? Hmm, what do you think? Somebody named... Philip, there you go, yes. Philippi was named after Philip. Philip was the father of somebody you might be familiar with, and that is Alexander the Great. So Philippi is named after Alexander the Great's father, named Philip. But most of the citizens were Roman. It was a a colony of the Roman Empire. Most of the citizens of Philippi were Roman. There were some Jewish refugees who had settled there as well. We're not going to look at all of the text here in chapter 16, but just give you a few highlights before we get to what we're going to focus on here today. Uh, If you just glance at verses, starting in verse 11 and down through verse 15, uh, we see that Paul and his friends arrived in Philippi. They found a group of women who had gathered for prayer near a river. And, And Paul and his friends shared their message with them. They talked to them about Jesus the Son of God, who died for their sins and rose again. One of the the ladies in this group was a fabric dealer. Her name was Lydia. And God opened her heart, and she believed in Jesus. And and, and in this teaching time, Paul 
And his friends must have told these ladies about the instruction that Jesus gave for anybody who believed in him that they would be baptized to publicly declare themselves as believers and followers of Jesus. And so so it says Lydia was baptized. In fact, it says she and her household were baptized. Now, baptism is being placed in water. That's really what it means. It means to be dipped into water. But it represents a greater truth, doesn't it? Being dipped in the water, being baptized, represents Jesus' death and his burial and then his resurrection. And like we see with the people in this, in this chapter, baptism was not a way for them to have their sins forgiven or to be made right with God. It was a sign of what had already happened in their minds and hearts. And then verses 16, 17, and 18, and 19 are interesting. And again, not going to read them right now, but you can glance at those and see that this team encountered a girl who was caught in what we would call something like human trafficking. She was influenced by an evil spirit, and she was a slave. And because of the influence of this evil spirit, she could purportedly tell the future. And so her owners were using her to make money. And, and this, this evil spirit influenced her to start harassing and haranguing Paul and his companions and shouting to them and kind of making a big show of announcing them to the, to the community. And they didn't want that attention. And Paul actually used his authority given to him as a representative of Jesus to, to command the demon to leave her. And that's what happened. She was set free. So far, so good, right? Pretty successful ministry endeavor taking place here. But it was about to deteriorate very quickly. And let me read for us, starting in verse 19. So Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 19. But when her masters, the owners of this slave girl, saw that their hope of profit was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them. So it turned into a riotous mob And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them, Paul and Silas, to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So here were Paul and Silas doing what's right, sharing the message of Christ, even helping people and freeing this demon-possessed girl. And because they were in a Roman colony and they were Jewish and they were outsiders and they were promoting a message that contradicted the Roman ideology and religion and because they were taking away income from these slave owners, all of a sudden everything turned hostile, didn't it? Everybody was against them. The magistrates were kind of a combination of of judge and law enforcement, kind of like law and order. And they were not aware that Paul had rights of a Roman citizen, which he did. And so they, they basically arrested him, and then they inflicted on him a method 
called coercitio. Coercitio. You think of the term coerce or coercion. That's, that's what this was. It was actually a method of softening up accused criminals before interrogating them and charging them. So they beat them with a bundle of rods. And bruised and bleeding, Paul and Silas were hauled to a dark, stony, damp cell. And they were chained, and their legs were stretched. So the way that they would, they would fasten these prisoners is that they would, like if you take your legs and, and stretch them out like this, right, like a Y, they would stretch their legs out to the pain point and then lock them in to these stocks. So they were in excruciating pain. And there they lay. You can imagine the chill seeping through their bodies. Their wounds from the beating were untreated and burning with pain. Cramps nodding, the muscles in their legs, hour after hour. In their agony, they began to lift their voices, not with fury against their attackers and accusers, not in despair, but I'm, I'm just imagining it might have sounded something like this. God, oh God, you have allowed us to suffer. You are almighty. You are great. Jesus said if we're going to follow him, we have to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. You have counted us worthy to suffer like Jesus. And we thank you. If you can, Father, find a way to forgive our attackers and our accusers, the people who are treating us like this, because they don't know what they're doing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts, echoing through the prison. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. <laughs> What's happening? Silas? Are you there? I'm here. Paul, are you okay? I'm fine. Just fine, Silas. Look at how Luke records it starting in verse 25. But at midnight, 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the fountains of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This man was pressed to the breaking point. He had prisoners in his charge who had committed capital crimes. They were on death row. If they escaped, then he would have to take their place and be executed instead of them. So he feared for his life. He did not want to die that agonizing and even shameful death. And so he thought the only way out was to take his own life. And there was something about Paul and Silas that just captivated him and and touched his heart and and he knew he needed whatever they had what must I do to be saved and of course Paul answered verse 31 Paul and Silas said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household believe you know a lot of people believe things about Jesus There are people that believe there is a Jesus, people that believe in some of the teachings of Jesus. But what Paul told this man to do is very specific. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means to trust. In other words, to totally trust, to totally entrust yourself. Hope this never happens to you. In fact, we we have a son and daughter-in-law who own a 42-foot sailboat. And uh, they, they sail up and down the Atlantic coast, and they just crossed over from the coast of Florida over to uh, the Bahamas, and they're cruising there now in their sailboat. A little bit of envy, right? Um, but uh, if you're out on a boat or a ship in the middle of the ocean, uh, you're, you're pretty vulnerable out there, aren't you? And hopefully this, something like this would never happen to any of us, but just imagine you're on a, a ship or a boat, far enough out in the ocean that you could not swim to shore if something happened. The boat catches fire. All of a sudden you realize that there's one way to escape, and that is to jump overboard to get into the water, right? And you're thinking, well, I want to take uh, some things with me. There are some items on the boat that are valuable to me, or there's some things I think will be helpful to me. They're precious. They're treasures. But you can't. And as you look around, you notice there's a package in a red case attached to the the gunnel, the side of the boat, and it says, life raft, pull here to inflate. And so you take that package, and as you fling it toward the water, you pull on that handle, it inflates. Then you have to make a choice, don't you? The boat's valuable. Your possessions are important to you, but if you're going to be saved, you have to completely leave that burning vessel and entrust yourself to that life raft. You have to totally trust 
that that is the way to escape. And that is the idea of believing in Jesus. We have to be willing to let go of anything that we think is going to help us or save us, spiritually speaking, to make us right with God. And even think in terms of, you know, I'm not going to just hold on to the pleasures and, and the possessions and things I treasure of this life. I'm going to entrust myself completely to Jesus. And that's what Paul was telling this man to do. Believe in Jesus. And when someone believes in Jesus to save them, it means that they stop trusting in anything else. Going to church, being a good person, treating others the way you want to be treated, having Christian parents or grandparents, as wonderful as that is. But a person who's believing in Jesus trusts in one thing. Actually, it's a person, isn't it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the real Jesus, not the picture frame Jesus, not the cartoon Jesus. The real Jesus is the Lord Jesus. He's the Son of God. And he is God the Son who came to this earth. He's the Jesus of the Bible. He's the one who came to earth as a man and obeyed God completely and then died on the cross as our substitute, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself. He was buried, and then three days later he rose from the dead, proving he's the Son of God with power and that he could give eternal life to others. And people who believe in this person, who totally trust in Jesus as Savior, are given a promise. Paul says, you shall be saved. Who needs to be saved? Well, we all need to be saved from the penalty of disobeying God, which is, which is death. And that's not just physical death, but eternal death in a place of torment forever. We all need to be saved from that, and we need to be saved to the life that God gives us in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What a promise it is packaged for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, now Paul said something interesting here, didn't he? Look at verse 31. You'll be saved, you and your household, we need to make sure that we understand he was not saying that if the jailer believed that his family, his whole family would automatically be saved. In fact, notice what he says in verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord. That's more of the message about the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. To him, the jailer, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Verse 34, now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So, so what Luke is describing for us here, what happened between them, is that the jailer believed, and his family heard the word, they heard the message of Christ, and they believed, and all of them were baptized because all of them believed in Jesus. So just like Lydia and her household, this man and his family, 
all trusted Jesus to save them from their sins, and they were all baptized to publicly identify with Jesus and to obey Jesus' command. Remember what Jesus told us to do? At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus said, go and make disciples, enlist followers of Jesus. And then what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So just like Lydia and her family members and the jailer and his family members, all kinds of people from all walks of life have to decide what they will do about God and what they will do with Jesus. Every one of us needs a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. And if you are one of those who realizes, like Lydia, like her family members, like the jailer and his family, wife and children, if you are one of those who realize that you need to place your total trust in him, you know you can do that. You can do that now. You, in your own thoughts and from your heart, you can say, Jesus, I believe in you. Not just that you're a religious figure that maybe lived one day, but I believe in you. I am trusting you. You are the one who died for my sins. And you rose again. And I want you to forgive me and give me eternal life. And I am trusting in you and what you did for me. Will you save me? And this promise here is for you. It's for you. You shall be saved. And just like Paul and Silas, followers of Jesus can live in a way that causes others to want to hear what we have to say. It's so interesting, isn't it, that, that they, they suffered, they prayed, they sang. It says the prisoners heard them. But somewhere along the way, this, this jailer observed and heard something and began to understand that they had, they had something different and something to offer, and he asked them about being saved. And in the same way, you and I should be like Paul and Silas, going through hard times, willing to suffer, ready to talk about Jesus. And when going through hard times, even great suffering, you can pray and you can sing in the darkness of midnight, can't you? And the message of hope in Jesus can shine to the people around you. Now, when these magistrates found out Paul and Silas were Romans, they knew that they could be in some pretty big trouble. Because for whatever reason, they didn't, Paul and Silas didn't say, hey, we're Roman citizens, maybe just in the turmoil of the moment, or they chose not to for whatever reason. But they would have been protected from this beating and this arrest if they had just said, we are citizens of Rome. That would have been a process of verification and investigation. They would have been treated much differently. But, but these magistrates find out, and, and, and so they fear that they're going to be in trouble, and they'll be reported. And, and so they want the prisoners to leave town quickly. And so they send word to the jailer, hey, let them go. Get them out of town. But here Paul makes a demand, and it kind of makes us question, okay, was he just kind of demanding his rights or... You know, is this his pride showing or something like that? Is he just trying to make these guys look bad? 
I don't think so. Look at what it says starting in verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No way. <laughs> no, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out from the prison, and now look at what it says. They entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren... They encouraged them and departed. You know what's happening here? A church is born. That's what happened in Philippi. This gathering of Christians in Philippi became the first church in what we call Europe. This was a beachhead for the spread of the gospel westward and eventually around the world. I mean, this was strategic. This was important. Now, Paul didn't necessarily know all that. But probably... He wanted to be publicly vindicated as a Roman citizen so that the reputation of these new Christians would not be tainted by the way that they were treated. He wanted to establish that, these were, that he was a legitimate individual to be there and this was a legitimate group of people to be meeting together. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church, didn't he? And this is how he has done it. Faithful men and women sharing the gospel. People believing and being saved and baptized and added to the church. And just like he did it there, he can do that right here, can't he? Northridge Baptist Church. Some families, some individuals believing in Christ, sharing the message of the gospel, loving your community. God can do the same thing here. Now, there's another important lesson that fits what we're going to be doing here in just a few minutes that I want to highlight for us today. Lydia's household and the jailer's household likely included children of various ages. And from what we're reading here, every one of them heard the truth about Jesus. And each one of them believed it and totally trusted Jesus as Savior for themselves. And here's a great lesson for us. Our homes should be places of spiritual nurturing and growth where people, including our own children, see and hear who Jesus is and why they need him. Go all the way back to verse 1. Acts 16, verse 1, describing Paul says, then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. This tells us Timothy's mother was a believer. Timothy joined Paul's team here. Paul said this about Timothy in one of his letters to Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy. He said this, listen, Paul said to Timothy, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. Think about it. 
which were able to make you wise for salvation. The Holy Scriptures will tell you what you need as a child to be saved. How? Through faith, Paul said, which is in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, Timothy, you heard the Scriptures in your home when you were a child, and you believed in Jesus Christ, and you were saved. In fact, in that same letter, Paul says this. He talks about Timothy's faith, and he says, it was first in your, do you know, grandmother, Lois, and he names her, and your mother, Eunice. So Paul is, is pinpointing the fact that Timothy grew up in a home where he heard the truth and he learned the gospel and he saw it lived out in his mom and his grandma. Isn't that beautiful? He had the privilege to grow up learning about God and how to follow him. And that's the kind of home that we should have too. Dads and moms, grandparents, what a privilege, what a great responsibility to live out the gospel before our families, to share it with them and make sure that, that they have the opportunity to understand it from the time they're children. Each child makes his or her choice. We know that. But we can tell them and we can show them what it means to follow Jesus. I'd like to invite you to pray together with me. Let's bow for prayer. God, would you help us to be like Paul, willing to suffer, ready to give an answer, ready to share the gospel on any occasion. Father, if there is anyone here today like Lydia or the jailer or their family who needs to put their total trust in Jesus, will you help them? Enable them to understand and give them faith. How we thank you for families where children learn about you. Will you work in the lives of, of our family members, the children in our homes, so that they will know and follow Christ? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.